again, we're uh, treating this like a youth service that we'd have upstairs, and um, this would be the time that we get into the Word together. So if you got your Bibles, Psalm 103, if you all could turn there, that's where we're going next. I wanted to quickly just honor those that serve as leaders in our youth group. And you guys don't get thanks enough. If you are one of our leaders, I know you're kind of dispersed, would you stand up, whether it's a small, come on Ryan, whether it's small or large, if you're one of the leaders with our youth, Cody's in the back, we have others. Um, Jared's in the back probably standing up by himself. Laney, can you all give just them a hand? We love y'all. We thank y'all. Daniel Stringer and uh, Karis, they're over at the Land Campus this morning. And so um, they're a part of that as well, and as amongst others. David Duffy, Megan, um, we've got a great group of leaders. Paul Mock, he would normally be on the harmonica up here, and he's very sad he's not, but he's, having, uh, he's going to his mom's service today. So uh, blessing upon him as well. So this has been the year of the Psalms for us with the youth group. When I first uh, took over for one a couple years ago, um, the first year we did a year of doctrine. Last year we did a year of the Sermon on the Mount. And this year we did a year of the Psalms. And Pastor Brad's always encouraged me, whatever the Lord's doing in your own life, take it to the students. And so last year was a year of the Psalms in my own life. 2022 was a year of the Psalms. Uh, it was a tough year as far as how we as humans would look at tough. But it was a year that the Lord used powerfully uh, for me to have more of him. Uh, so many times we, we lament and we get frustrated in the struggle and we cry out to the Lord, where are you? And yet when I read the Psalms, David has the same emotions, but he lands in a different place that many times I do myself. And so the Psalms was something that I had to cling to personally. And I would read the Psalms and I would reread the Psalms and over and over, my wife and family can attest to, I read it over and over and over. I'd go on walks and listen to it. I'd sit in my room and read it because I needed, I just needed some peace. I needed hope. I needed, I needed the power of God to intercede. And so many times when I go about it in my own means, it just, as Andrew testified to, it doesn't end with the life of God. It ends in the same place everything else ends and that's destruction of self. And so the Psalms for me was a great comfort and so uh, we have done a year of Psalms. There's roughly about 30, 35 weeks of the year that we do a Wednesday night service. Uh, we do it matching the school year, so we're about to end here soon. And uh, we've picked out different Psalms. We've studied, we've prayed, and as you've noticed, we've done artwork. And so I've, the artwork for me has been a massive blessing. Um, it was definitely something that the Lord put on my heart just to tap into something that the students could connect to with, this, with the artwork and with the psalm itself. And we have very creative, very talented students, and it's been really cool to see just them meditate on God's word and let their giftings, as we see in the artwork, uh, be a form of worship. And so some things we've learned this year, obviously there's 150 psalms. It's grouped into five different books. There's multiple authors. Uh, David writing the most, over 70 of them. Uh, they are more than likely arranged after the return from exile. Uh, we talked about Hebrew poetry and what that looks like and how 
Our version of poetry being uh, roses are red, violets are blue is not how Hebrew poetry works, um, as much as we wish it would. Um, thought for thought, uh, contrast, re, um, restating Hebrew, Hebrew poetry uses all of those uh, different means as far as making a point. The writings are over a thousand years. We have a psalm that's written by Moses. We have psalms that are written by uh, the descendants of Asaph coming back from exile. And so we have a massive amount of time between even the uh, psalms written in at the beginning and psalms as they're all put together. It's one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. It contains many prophecies and our own Savior uh, prayed through the Psalms regularly, even from the cross, praying through Psalm 22, which is one of the Psalms we studied this year. I love it. Psalm 22 is about, the, about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet Psalm 16, David lands on the fact that we don't have to be afraid of death because he will not let his Holy One see decay. And so even in the Psalms, we see Jesus throughout it. We see again the death of, of the Messiah, but we see the resurrection and the promise, our hope found in Jesus. So uh, for today, we're actually going to look at Psalm 103. So again, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 103. I, um, I was supposed to teach it earlier this year, but I will explain I never got to it. And we'll explain that at the end. So I had a whole message prepared for the students, Psalm 103. Um, but the Lord had different plans that night, and we'll talk about that at the end. I started uh, reading and memorizing Psalm 103 for myself back when COVID started. And when COVID started, uh, all of the information, all of the dysfunction, all of the, just the noise, I needed something that I could go to and turn to and just praise and worship and get my mind off of the other stuff. I don't know if you guys are good about getting your mind off of the other stuff, but there's a lot of stuff to get your mind on that we shouldn't get our mind on, so we got to get our mind off the other stuff. Y'all track with me there? That makes sense? Whew, that makes So Brad's trying to figure that one out over there. That, that, all right. All that to say, Psalm 103 has been a great source of comfort. And knowing just the life of David, um, I would encourage you that maybe Psalm 103 will be a comfort for you. I'll put this out there. I didn't say this in the first service. Psalm 38 is like Psalm 103's earlier trial. We don't have time today to get into Psalm 38, but if you want to do a little writing down, a little homework, read Psalm 38 and then read Psalm 103. It's almost like you get the backstory as far as how Psalm 103 came together. And I don't have, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that he wrote them back to back, but based off of the content of both, it's really remarkable how they resemble each other. So I'm going to read Psalm 103, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, to our lesson today. It says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate 
and merciful. He's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die like wind, uh, sorry, the wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commands. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Amen. I'm tempted not even to preach. I'm honestly tempted where we just sit and pray and just sit in God's word. We're so quick to hit into scripture and get the verse that we want to put into our pocket and move on. In the New American Standard, in other translations, you might have one that says something different. Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me not forget all of his privileges or his benefits. I prefer this beginning to the new living. Um, but there's some words I want to focus on, starting with the word bless. In the Hebrew, there's two words for bless. This particular one is barak. And it means to kneel, to give reverence to. When Josie Bowler read, she read from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk, stand, sit. We've read that verse before. That word blessed means, uh, that word in the Hebrew is asher, where we get happiness. It means to be on the right road. It's an emotion. It's something that we feel. This word is not a feeling. This word is humble submission. This word is barak, meaning I will kneel and I will give you the honor that you deserve based not on how I feel, but based off of who you are. Kneel, worship, submit to the Lord, my soul. Not because I feel like it, but because of who you are. My soul is an interesting word. We're Greek thinkers, and soul for us is kind of like that deep inner gut, that person inside. But in the Hebrew, that's not the case. The word soul is nephesh, and it actually means in different parts of Scripture, your neck. In Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for water, so my soul longeth after you. It's the, it, in that, it, it could literally mean my neck thirsts after you, and it means your existence. When we think of soul, it would be much more in line with how the Hebrew thought of heart. 
But for the Hebrew, soul was your existence. Let all of my existence bless the Lord. Everything. My actions, who I am, my identity, let all of it bless the Lord. It's important that we notice David using the word Lord. As you see in uh, your translation, you have a capitalized O-R-D for Lord. David is using the name that God gave himself at the burning bush. He's using the name that God revealed from the mountain on fire in Exodus 34, Y-H-W-H. We would render it Yahweh, but we don't know the exact pronunciation. And it's important that we see that because other times we see lowercase, and that would be Adonai, meaning someone that you, a lordship, someone that's above you in authority. But this is the name of God that David is putting out there. For, for myself, I read it using the name of God. And the reason I do that is because God is so watered down and generic, unfortunately, in our culture. People say, I believe in God, but I don't even know what that means half the time. Are we talking about the God of the Jew? Are we talking about the God of Jesus, the Father of Christ? Is that who we're talking about? And so we're talking about the one true God. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. And so I have four points as we get past the introduction of the chapter. Uh, we're gonna look at verses three through six first. And verses three through six I would define as the life of God in his people. The life of God in his people. He, the Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, he forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and mercies. He fills my life with good things my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. In your translation, it might say, he forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems you from death, crowns you with love and tender mercies. And I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I just prefer the new living because there's a part in my life where I have to hear what God says and I have to apply it to myself. I've got to hear what God says, and I've got to say, wait, I can cling to that promise. I believe what that says, not just for you, but for me. We're so good about having faith for other people. We are not nearly as good as about having faith for ourselves. I'll pray for you. I'll give you a verse. I'll come up and support you. But when you give the verse to me, do I choose to believe it, listen to it, sit in it, and trust the Lord in it? I trust I trust God to forgive all my sins. I trust that he will heal all my diseases. I trust that he will redeem me from death and crown me with love and tender mercies, that he fills my life with good things, that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives his righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. These concepts are not new to the psalmist. They are something that the Spirit puts on the people of God. In Isaiah 53, we see that sin is absorbed on Jesus, that healing is by his stripes. In Romans 6, we see that he raises us to new life in Christ. In Ephesians 2, we see that we are seated with God in the heavenlies. In Isaiah 40, we can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. 
Galatians 2, we are a new creation. In Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, Christ is our righteousness. I don't have to go before the throne room trying to show my list of things I've done. Jesus has given me his righteousness. And in Revelation 6, we know that the cries of the saints below the throne room of God are crying out to God for justice. I know my God will bring justice to what, who I am and what I've done. And so if I am troubled in this life, if I am persecuted, if injustice happens towards me, I can rest knowing that God will bring justice. The second part is verses 7 through 14. And I would characterize this as the character of God towards his people. We had the life of God in his people, and now we have the character of God towards his people. Verse 7. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his unfailing love is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth towards those who fear him. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate towards those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Verse seven starts that he revealed his character to Moses. Well, what's he talking about? Students know this. I've taught on it before. Exodus 34 is one of the most remarkable interactions. We have the presence of the living God manifesting itself on Mount Sinai. Fire, thunder, smoke, lightning. It's, it's, they're terrified. And then God speaks. God speaks. You know what's remarkable about this? The people... They see all of that, but when they hear the voice, their, their, their response is, please have him stop talking. Moses, would you talk to us? Like for me personally, I, if I saw a mountain on fire and smoke, I'd be like, that in itself is probably pretty troubling, right? The voice of God set them over, we're like, I, I, this is too much. There's too much glory. It's not too much judgment. It's not too much anger. It's too much glory. The glory of God was too intense for them to be around. But Moses knew God. And so he went up. Do y'all ever think about like what that would take to walk up that mountain? That's, that's not, like, I'm not scared of heights. I'm low-key scared of heights. And so even, like, even that's just, like, you're in your mind, like, I'm not completely comfortable. He's walking up a mountain where the presence of God is manifesting itself, himself. He revealed his character to Moses. And what did he do? He passed by Moses calling out who he was, that he is compassionate, merciful, long-suffering. David is pointing back to Moses 
And what do we know about the Lord? That he's compassionate and merciful, what he revealed. But listen to what he says. He won't constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly as we deserve. There's two ways to take that. That could be your green light to do what you want. But if you know the holiness of God, it really should bring a contrite heart that we saw in Psalm 51 saying, God, why do you love me so much? Why do you have so much affection? And not only does he not punish us for all of our sins, it doesn't mean that he doesn't punish the sin. He redirects the punishment on his son. The sin was atoned for on the body. And while we read this and we're like, man, do I keep on sinning? No. No, we don't keep on sinning. We don't take advantage of the grace of God, but we know that we have a God who is full of grace. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. I love the imagery here. When you go outside tonight, look up at the stars and then measure your distance and then place in that distance the unfailing love of Christ towards you. As great as that expanse is as great as his love is for us. And then when Satan reminds you of your sin, when Satan accuses, and I'm talking about sin that's dealt with. If you're living an ongoing sin, you got work to do. But if you've come before the Lord and confessed, I know we talk about the stretch of Jesus' hands but as far as the east is from the west. And I'm not a bright guy, but that's pretty far. And I don't even know if that's east. East might be that way. Have you ever just sat in what that means? The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, towards those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. If you want some good news, read Hebrews 4 and 5. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet is without sin. He understands what we're going through. There has not been one temptation that you have endured that he doesn't understand or know. And then in chapter 5, it says that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Jesus suffered, but he learned obedience. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews says. And so when I read this, that the Lord is tender and compassionate like a father, we know that his son experienced the things that we experience. I am not alone. I am not unique. I'm a lot like y'all, but you know what? Our Savior conquered it all because he experienced it all. And yet he conquered it all because he was sinless and perfect in it.
It's really interesting, the concept of God being a father in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we read it all the time, right? But in the Old Testament, it's not as prolific. Many times, God is shown as a father to Israel, but the one-on-one person, it doesn't have that quite as much. In Psalm, the analogy of God being a father is three times. In Psalm 68, it's referred to as him being a father to the fatherless. In Psalm 89, it refers to uh, God being a father to the line of David. But what we see in 103 is he's a father to me. And we see that through his son. Final two points, we have verses 15 through 18. We had the life of God in his people. We had the character of God toward his people. And now we have the eternal nature of God's love for his people. The eternal nature of God's love for his people. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildfires. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been there. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commands. In Acts, it talks about how David... It refers to Psalm 16, talking about how he will not let his Holy One see decay. And Peter says he's not talking about himself, he's talking about Jesus. David died at some point. Your life is but a mist. Our time here is not long, but the love of God is eternal. The love of God has no time to define itself by. What Jesus did on the cross has enough to save Adam, it has enough to save me, and it has enough to save my future generations. And the promise of God is for those who fear him, for those who obey his commandments, for those who are in covenant with him. His blessings will fall not just on me, but on my children and my children's children. And as he said of himself, to a thousand generations. I don't even want to know what my life would be like without my ancestors not knowing the Lord. I have parents that have loved the Lord, that have shown me the Lord, that have pushed me towards Christ. There are blessings I receive because my parents have been faithful. His love is eternal for his people. We studied Psalm 136 throughout the year, and that's the psalm that repeats the line, his faithful love endures forever. And so for that night, um, because of how much it repeated, we created a little melody for it. You've already heard me sing a little bit. It's not very good, but I'm going to try again. So it went, his faithful love endures forever. And here's what we did. We had students just praise the Lord, and then we all responded back. His faithful love endures forever. And what does the psalmist talk about? It talks about all the things that God has done. How he brought them out of Egypt, how he destroyed this king, how he brought them to the promised land, how he's been faithful. Brothers and sisters, we have to look at what God has done 
It might be the very thing that we cling to to get us through what we're going through, knowing that God is there, but we don't feel. But as the song says, if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Finally, verses 19 through 22. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans. Listen for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all, let all that I am praise the Lord. I find this remarkable. David who committed adultery, David who murdered, David who has sin, he's commanding angels. He's not commanding the other people, he's commanding heavenly beings. Messengers, praise the Lord. Armies of angels, praise the Lord. David had been redeemed. He wasn't identified anymore by his past transgressions. So he could join with all of creation. He could rally up and have a pep rally for Christ and say, praise the Lord, all that I am. Praise the Lord. There was no limitations to who he called upon because all creation should praise the Lord. And we know one day soon that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. All of them, every one of them, will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. As we close, I want to show you one final artwork. And this is the reason why we were not able to get done. And I didn't teach a lesson. There's a story behind this artwork. But it's not my story to tell. And the artwork is already telling the story. And so for that night... We just worshiped and we just made observations. Jesus invades her space. She hasn't fixed herself. She hasn't cleaned herself up. She hasn't gotten righteous yet. Jesus invades her space. Her hands show shame. Her hands show disgrace. But his hands show acceptance. You can't see it on the weight of the chain, but inside of there, it's written over and over, sin, sin, sin. But the love of Christ has no limits. It has no boundaries. 
and as I know some of the story behind this, the person who produced this is no longer on the right side. Is there anything more powerful than new life? Is there anything more powerful than a new creation in Christ? I don't know what you're in right now. I don't know what you're going through. But his love wants to infiltrate where you're at. Can I be completely honest, church? If you're in Christ and you're free, why are we letting people suffer on the other side? Why are we not showing the love of Christ? Why are we not? I just saw a video yesterday of a girl not much older than Audrey on a missions trip. I don't know where she's at. It's from another youth pastor down in South Florida. And there's video of just the audio of the song where it says, hell lost another one, I am free. Yes, I am free. And they're singing it in a strip club. And the name of the strip club is called Club of Lucifer. Why are you all dismayed? The light of Christ has no boundaries. There's no limits. Hell lost another one. I am free. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Lord, we agree. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of God, the life of God, the character of God, the eternal nature of your love. And we thank you for your sovereignty, which deserves all of our praise. And we just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.